0: If you, would, if you would allow me, two reasons, uh, we're gonna, we're, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and jump in, two reasons. One, it's a very short text. Uh, there's a lot to pull out, but it is a very short text. And so there's, there's not like this endless amount of observation. But two, I actually want you to hold on to that wrestling with who are you in the story and why. And maybe some, some reasons why you could be aspects of both and why. I want you to hold on to that. So I don't wanna break that, what you were just doing. I want you to hold on to it. And I, if you would let me, I just kind of want to jump in. I want all of us as a community to wade into that tension. That tension that's created by the contrast of those two characters. I want to like wade into it together. And to wrestle with it together. And, and perhaps first I want to wade into that by exploring the frightening possibility of service generally. But ministry service specifically as a potential distraction from Jesus, and, and maybe even an escape from Jesus. And consequently, I want to wrestle with what it means to, like Mary, to choose the better portion, the only necessary way, and what that means for us in the midst of that waiting, that tension between the two characters. The struggle for me, and I don't know about you, I'm just going to talk about me. I'm not going to like, you know, I'm going to say all oh, you guys are like this. I'm just going to talk about me a lot today. The struggle for me is that Martha gets painted in such a dirty, bad, wrong light in this. She gets really beat up, not just in this story, but like all through history. This sermon has been told just just, just brutalizing Martha. And I'm Martha. I mean, are you Martha? Yeah, okay, yeah, I don't know if it's celebrating, I heard a little celebrating, there's a little Martha in here, right? So I'm just saying I I struggle with this story because if I were to be honest, I'm I'm more often than not, I'm Martha, I resonate with Martha, and you're going to resonate with one or the other. And I don't think it's the intention of the story, to be clear, I don't think it's the intention of the story to, like, emerge these two kind of generalization archetype people and you, like, identify with one or the other. I don't know if that's what, that's definitely not what Luke is trying to do. But I do think it rings true to a degree to find yourself in the story in one of these characters. In this room, there's going to be some Marys and there's going to be some Marthas. Who are you? And some of you might have tendencies of both. You might be a bit of a Marthy. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. was my best shot, my best shot. You might be a Mary if you're contemplative. If you gravitate more toward contemplative disciplines like prayer, reading, meditation, solitude, if those kinds of contemplative disciplines are natural for you, you love them. You might be a Martha if you're more active, you're a doer, you're you're drawn more to direct servanthood, you're a go-getter, you're drawn more toward direct ministry and activism while having a complicated relationship with contemplative disciplines. You might say that Mary is a type B personality and Martha is a type A personality, always getting after it, running, running, running. Martha is task oriented and Mary is relationally oriented on that kind of spectrum. Martha is all about a full schedule and Mary is all about a full heart. You might be a Martha if you set your alarm every single day waking up to a daily regimented schedule like a little robot. You might be a Mary if you let the Lord wake you. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. You might be a Mary if you push the snooze seven times every single day and never actually make the final decision to just set your alarm further back. <laughs> you just keep pushing snooze, keep pushing. You might be a Martha if you look at your watch three or four times during every single meeting, prompting people to say, are you pressed for time? Do we need to finish this up? You might be a Mary if you start every meeting apologizing for being a few minutes late because you were having such a deep, unbreakable conversation before this, before you came. You might be a Mary if you distrust planning because it distracts people from listening to God. You might be a Martha if you see prayer solely as a good introduction or transition into good planning. If you had Jesus over to your house, like just think about your house right now. Think about the, the state of your living area, your apartment, your house. Just think about it right now. And Jesus just kind of like, the news that Jesus is coming reaches your cell phone at three o'clock to your house. Like your house is the only option. You're hosting Jesus today for dinner for 5.30, 6 o'clock. Uh, uh, and you, you reach this news at three o'clock and he's coming to your house at about 3.30. In about 30 minutes, he's arriving at your house. We expect dinner at 5.30 or so. What do you do? I mean, what do you do? I'm, I'm going to uh, guess that some people in this room, 3.30 comes along, he arrives at your house, and it's like, you want to... You know, you, Jesus, come on in. You can, you can, you can sit down uh, right, right here. And do you need something to drink? Uh, let me. Do you need? Do you need? I have water. I've got, I've got uh, uh, milk. I've got coffee. I've got so do, do you need something to eat? Are you hungry? Um, um, and you're going to run around. And while you're getting his drinks, you're cleaning other parts of the house. You're like going through particular rooms of the house to continue uh, the scurry to clean everything. You're throwing all the dishes into the dishwasher like it's a closet. There's no organization. You just throw them all in there. Put shove it in. You're like you have laundry on your all over your body that you're trying to carry somewhere you're trying to clean your whole house you're trying to get it together some of you in this room you have Jesus in your house 330 and you just no guilt no shame you're just like Jesus I'm so glad you're here I'm so glad you're here come on in don't mind it's messed up I get it I just want to learn from you there's no literally nowhere in your house right now to sit because there's laundry on every single sitting surface and you're like, let's just sit here on the floor, and you're like next to to, to some like a two week old Fruit Loop and like some dog hair or something. It's like not a problem. We're just sitting on the on the throw rug in the living room, and it's just like you know, let's just talk. Can we just talk? I've got I've got so many questions for you. Can we just talk? And you know, let's just talk and talk. And if there's a break in the discussion, I'll go make something. But let's just talk and let's just let it be organic. Let's just let it be organic together, Jesus. And when it comes, if you get hungry at six or I get hungry at six thirty, you know, well I got a bag of or we can call it pizza, but let's just be together. Let's enjoy each other. Some of you be more like that. I think the tension of the story for me is wondering what is the real fault of Martha here? Is it wrong to be hospitable? Is it wrong to play host? I mean, that's the thing. I I really do think if Jesus came to my house today, I mean, if you knew the state of my house today, I would, yeah, I'd like sit down, you know, Uh, I'll get you something to drink. Let me just clean some stuff up. I'm gonna make you something, of course. It's gonna take me, I'm gonna make something good, (laughs) of course, I'm gonna make something right. (laughs) I'm not gonna throw no pizza in. I'm not gonna make like my little, I'm not gonna make a peanut butter, I'm gonna make something good and I would wanna run around. I'd be like, here's the the remotes. I don't know if you watch it. Don't look at my lists, just find something. Don't look at my watch list, just find what you wanna do. I just wonder what the, what the problem is with hospitality, what the problem is with hosting, with wanting to make the food, with wanting to clean. I mean, what's, what's inherently the problem with that? And what's the alternative? I mean, if Mary and Martha decide to sit with him, if they do the outcome of, like, like the punchline of the story, the outcome of the story, and they both sit with him, I mean, who makes the food? Do, I mean, do we not eat? I think what the, the story exposes In context with the rest of the life of Jesus, when you bring this story in with the context of the rest of the life of Jesus, is that there is actually a way to serve that is full of Jesus and, and flowing from Jesus, but there's equally this terrifying possibility of serving as a distraction from Jesus or even an escape from Jesus. I was talking on, a front, on the phone this week on Thursday night with a, a friend of mine up north, and in that conversation, we started talking about the tyranny of the urgent. Anybody heard that term, the tyranny of the urgent? There's kind of this, um, I wish Jeremy was here because I'm doing a little quadrant, which is his kind of thing. It's like what he loves. So if you've got these like axes, you've got the urgency on this side, and you've got what's important on this side. And all of the activity of your life, all the responsibility you have, on a daily basis, literally every single thing that you do can fit in one of these four areas. You do things on a daily basis that are uh, not urgent and not important. Not urgent, not important. The example that I always put is making your bed. You people that make your bed, don't make your bed. It's not urgent, it's not important, nobody's gonna see it. I don't know who came up with that as like a task for humans to do. (laughs) Don't make your bed. Then you've got things in your life that you do that are urgent, They, they feel urgent, you consider them to be urgent, but they're not important. I think, uh, you know, it's a little bit subjective what you put in these things because we have differing, differing degrees and differing understandings of how we understand urgency and importance. But I would say probably 90% of the things that happen on your cell phone are in this category. 90% of the dings and the buzzers and the, I just sounded like I was 70, 90% of the, of the notifications that your, your phone gives you are not urgent and they're not important and they command your attention immediately. They, 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 are, they feel urgent. They appear to be urgent. They command urgencies, but they're not important. Then you have things that are uh, not urgent, but are extremely important. I would say um, an example might be like talking to, your, talking to your grandma on the phone or something. Grandma on the phone. And then you have this final category, things that are both urgent and important. I'm sorry to the people on the far sides that can't see this, just track with me. Urgent and important. An example of this might be a friend, a friend who has a personal tragedy. That's going to command urgency and it's incredibly important. Everything that you do, and the only reason I put these little numbers in blue here, this is 60%, 15%, 15%, 10%. There's just examples from like life ownership and life organization theory that's like, there, there's a certain, like uh, the, 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 the makeup of your life, the activity of your life, there's some apex goal that you should run to. I think all that's subjective. It's, the, the point I'm trying to make is everything in your life that you do fits into one of four, one of these four categories. Every single thing that you do every single day has varying degrees of urgency and importance that you do. The things that you focus on, the way that you organize and pursue and detail your life. And I would say that maybe the primary fault of Martha here, at least in this story, is that she's living under the tyranny of the urgent. That her life is governed by urgency more than it is importance. And I think a lot of us live under that tyranny, because with limited capacity of time, we surrender ourselves to urgency rather than importance. On the day-to-day basis, when you have an endless task list, an endless to-do list, you're making real-time decisions every single day of the things that you will do and will not do. And more often than not, in our world, in our context, urgency actually takes more value and precedence than importance just a couple, just a couple uh, maybe symptoms or tells. Does your life ever feel rushed or hectic or busy? No? <laughs> of, course, of course it does. Uh, do, do you ever get home from a day, this happens to me all the time, do you ever get home from a day and someone asks you, how was your day? And you say, crazy, so crazy. And then the next question is, what did you do? And you actually struggle to answer that question. That that like contradiction that you have I have it so regularly where it's like I f- the day was so crazy I'm so exhausted and then like what did you do and you actually have to think hard about what it is you, you accomplished the reason that is is because you spent your day living in the tyranny of the urgent I mean you like when you experience that you just live your life in here this is the tyranny of the urgent you get at the end of a day and you're like what did I actually accomplish? The reason you can't think of anything is because there were few things of any significance that you did accomplish. But you feel exhausted because you've been under that tyranny. I think sometimes we, internally or externally, we feel the obligation to be and appear busy, do we not? you know if you're internally if you're like an achie- if you're like an achiever or a person that really loves success you kind of get you, you have a tendency to get your value and your identity and your worth wrapped up in what you're doing then when people ask you how have you been you will almost involuntarily say so busy so busy so crazy my life is so crazy and it's really not actually most of the time my life is so crazy but you, you actually feel like you're under, your value and your identity is under threat somehow if you say, it's been good, I'm, I'm good, I've been alright, it's been a pretty good season, you know, ins and outs, whatever. And sometimes you actually don't deal with that internal threat around value and identity, but you experience an external pressure to come off that way because that's what we're supposed to do. Because do we live in a Mary world or a Martha world? We live in a Martha world and so even if you don't feel that obligation even if you're just you're down with like watching 7 hours of house of cards or something you're not going to tell somebody that <laughs> when they ask you like how was your day or whatever you're going to say man I had so many meetings you didn't have you had one meeting so many meetings i just got a lot going on my calendar it's crazy it's not but, there, but you feel pressured because what, you, what happens sometimes is you take, you take the, the standards and the expectations of a Martha world and you get them mixed up with the standards and expectations of God. Like sometimes you're, you're actually going to let him down or something if you're not running around like a crazy person. See, sometimes we distract ourselves with very good things like service and ministry. Sometimes we distract ourselves with really good things And we get busy and we stay busy, not to satisfy Jesus, but to satisfy the expectations of a Martha world that we live in. And you wind up getting frustrated by the lack of God's favor in areas of ministry that he never appointed for you in the first place. And sometimes we stay busy for the approval of God, but other times we stay busy because we are afraid of what we'll discover at the feet of our master. Sometimes we stay busy because we actually don't know what we'll hear about us, what we'll discover about him, what we'll discover inside of us when we sit at the feet of the one who can expose all things and knows all things. You get like uncomfortable about being in worship up in here sometimes. You're like, I don't know if I wanna be here because you, you, you've been so busy, you've been so distant from him that you're, there, there's a little bit of fear of like being with him. Nervous about what he'll say. This story just doesn't just highlight the possibility of ministry as a distraction from Jesus, but it even shows us some of the signs or the tells or the symptoms of that being the case. If you aren't sure if this is, if this is, any of this is true for you, if you're not really sure, uh, you're trying to diagnose, you just not know yourself very well or something like that. Well, just grade yourself on a few diagnostics here. Are you consumed by comparison? Martha turns and says, don't you care about my sister? What's going on with her? What's she doing? Are you consumed by comparison? In your service, is your disposition vertically centered? Where everything you do is like an act of worship, an act of intimacy, even in the service itself, an act of intimacy with God, or in your service, are you horizontally centered? Where everything you do is about either pulling your weight or becoming just as, just as crazy busy or doing, doing things that are, that are similar to somebody else around you, or you look at other people like, what are you doing? This thing I'm suffering for, this thing I'm like working so hard for, Well, and what's going on with you? What are you doing? Are you working as hard as others, pulling your weight, or others pulling theirs? Are you consumed by comparison? Do you ever boss God around? Get her to help me. (laughs) Tell her right now to help me. That's a bad day when you're telling Jesus what to do. Tell her to help me, God. This is messed up. So I mean you can be consumed by comparison but eventually when you are doing ministry that is not yours to do, that you have not been appointed to do and it's not going well, eventually you'll actually start to believe the re- or live into the reality that you are not subject to God but he's somehow subject to you. Give me some workers for this harvest, now, what's going on here? And that the, the, the desperation of ministry turns into demand the desperation of God to show, to show up to work, to do something, to, to work in the lives of these people begins to, to turn into demand. Are you consumed by comparison? Do you ever boss God around? And in the end, the source of really both of them is, is, is your life governed by worry and anxiety. Martha, Martha, you're, you're, and it's a tender word. It's not a harsh word. When he doubles the name like that, Martha, Martha, it's a tender word. Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. You're so worried so consumed by worry. The more disconnected you are from the voice and the presence of God, the more rational your worries will become. The more they'll make sense, but the more connected you are to Christ Jesus in, in, in life and in ministry and in intimacy, the more your worries become exposed as what they really are, insanity. There is no logic for worry in the kingdom of God, none. And we become consumed by it the more we separate ourselves from Jesus. And Jesus highlights Mary as an example of this other way, this, this, this countercultural way, this different way that I think is prophetic for us, actually prophetic for our culture, this moment with Mary, where she sits at his feet and just listens to him, just soaks him in. She has this embodied devotion to Jesus that makes everything else less important. And if I could imagine a primary operating difference between Mary and Martha, maybe even a difference between Mary and us, if we're willing to go there, if we're willing to be a little honest, it's that Martha sees her intimate relationship with Jesus as important, but not urgent. And Mary sees it as both important and urgent. So part of what's happening behind the scenes here is, is you, I, w- I mean, I would ask you, like, where do you think Mary puts her intimate relationship with Jesus, and where does Martha, and we would have different answers, because it's part of the question of the text, actually. The part of the question of the text is that Martha has a grid by which she's measuring this moment with Jesus, this, this relational sharing, this uh, space given with Jesus on a, on a grid of urgency and importance, and Jesus has a different grid that Jesus actually sees something different here on on that grid of urgency and importance. And Martha would say, like many of us in this room, we would say our relationship with Jesus, our time with Jesus, our our listening to him, our our learning from him, uh, that space that we enter into just with him and us and the quietness of our inner life, that's incredibly important. It's, It's unbelievably important, but it's just not very urgent, not compared to everything else. I mean, not, not, not compared to, to uh, you know, all these, te- all these things that have deadlines, actually. All these things that have deadlines. And what happens is, if, if you live your life, and if I live my life, living in the tyranny of the, or- of the urgent, where so much of your life is given over to urgent things, and at the same time, your relationship with Jesus is important, but not Urgent. Guys, that will crush your soul. It will crush your soul if you live a lot of your life in the tyranny of the urgent. And your, your inner relationship with Jesus, your like quiet personal relationship with Jesus is incredibly important to you. We're not arguing that. But it's not urgent. You do that for just a few years and it will crush you. Because everything in here has a deadline. Everything in here has accountability. Everything in here has the, 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 the assumption of accessibility for you. And I mean, all of this stuff that feels urgent, it feels urgent for a reason. But your, your personal relationship with Jesus, your inner life with Jesus Christ is never going to have a deadline. There, and when you miss it, there, there's nobody else that's going to have consequences. It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that. But in the moment, there's never gonna feel like there's other people who have consequences and they come to you and you disappoint them. You're not disappointing a bunch of people. So you're not driven by that. And over time, you're, like, you're just gonna tell yourself when you live in this space, I'm just, I don't know if any of you do, maybe none of you do, but if you live in that space, what happens is you're just gonna keep telling yourself, I'm gonna get to this when this crazy season lets up. I'm gonna get to this eventually. When things calm down, I just take a few days off, I don't have time. I just don't have time for this right now, but in a few days, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna rejuvenate my soul with Jesus in just a couple days. Next week, this week is so crazy, next week, I'm gonna just sit with him, I'm gonna sit for days at a time, I'm just gonna rest with him. I'm telling you, if you just keep saying, when this season lets up, I'm gonna sit with Jesus. Guys, the season never lets up, actually. There is no end to that season of the urgent things in your life. And I'm telling you, Martha lives in this world, but Mary considers her relationship with Jesus in this world. And I think if there's like one invitation I want, there's a lot of things you could say out of this text, but the one thing I wanted to offer us this morning is to, to, act, to just move, the invitation from the text for I think all of us this morning is to move your, your, your quiet inner Relationship with Jesus, your walk with Jesus, your listening with Jesus, your your time in His space, in His world, just alone with Him. You've got to move it from not being urgent to being the most urgent thing every single day of your life. I'm not disputing with you if you think it's important or not important. We're on the we're on the same page here. I don't have to preach that thing. I, I'm saying, is it urgent? Does it carry urgency? Ministry is a bottomless pit of tasks, a never ending to do list, and most of them feel urgent. All of them feel urgent. If you ever get to the bottom of that list, tell me about it. Let me know what that's like. The end of that to do list in ministry. I haven't found it yet. And if your relationship with Jesus does not match that urgency, that daily urgency of those tasks, it will cease to exist. It will end. Martin Luther said it this way. He, he's, he's quoted as saying, I have so much to do today that I must spend four hours in prayer this morning. Could you ima- I can't ever imagine saying that just as a, a, a moment of confession. Could you? I have so much to do today. I must start in prayer for four hours. I mean, I've been caught by people in the room that I will not name I have been caught to my shame I have been caught at 5 30 in the morning at the YMCA answering emails before I get on the treadmill like if I just get through these these are so urgent if I just get through these then I can start to like care for myself and listen to a sermon and pray and just just have this hour alone with you guys the emails never end they never end to my shame and there's an extreme side of the spectrum that we, that we have to deal with. We have to deal with. You see, this story, this, sh- this story shows us one side of two coins. This story shows us that Martha displays the dark side of serving without Jesus. The dark side of serving without, like, the directive and the intimacy with Jesus. But as a distraction, serving as a distraction. And Mary shows the beauty of of resting in the presence of Jesus. Yes? The problem is, is that it's equally possible to serve full of Jesus, to serve with Jesus, in the intimacy of Jesus, and it's equally possible to rest without Jesus. He's not there. He's got nothing to do with it. I mean, if, the, if in just earlier in this chapter, if at the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus, Jesus is sitting with the disciples and he's trying to tell them, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. You guys should, can you guys just help me? Can you guys pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers? And then like a half second later, he's like, you know what? Hold on, go. You go, actually. You go. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Don't, don't bring all this stuff with you. I'm sending you out two by two, all 72 of you. I'm sending you out two by two to go and proclaim the kingdom of God to every city that I'm going. How do you think it would have gone if the, all those 72 disciples were like, listen, Look, we hear you. That's great. But we just want to be with you, Jesus. We just want to sit and ask you questions and learn. We love you so... We know this is a trick. You're playing a trick. This is a trick question. It's a trick question to go. We're going to stay because we love you. And we want to be with you. And we don't want to be distracted by service and ministry. We don't want to be distracted, all consumed by worry. We love you. We're just with you. Do you think that would have gone well? No. No, 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 no. When he's feeding the 5,000 and he's sitting with those disciples and he's like, listen... I need you guys, I need you guys to go around to all these people, get them, in, get them in groups of 50, collect all the food that we have available and we're going to have to try to feed all these people. If those disciples would have been like, I hear what you're saying, great idea, but we love you so much, we came out here to be with you. We didn't, we didn't bring all these people. We want to learn, we want to sit in your intimacy. We don't want to be distracted by that service, that ministry stuff. We just want to sit with you. That's a trick question, what you're doing to us. We know what you're doing. No, no, no. This wouldn't have gone well. The reality is that that service itself, which is the, the confrontation of the text on me when you first read it, right? Many on you, on you too. The confrontation of the text isn't on hospitality. It isn't on servanthood. The confrontation of the text is to do service outside of the domain of Christ Jesus' directive. To take upon yourself things that he has not given you to do. But that same, that same thing applies to even your rest, your quiet moments, your contemplative space with Jesus, that space is governed under the domain of Jesus' directive. And it's inappropriate to stay there when he's given you a directive to go do, to do something. Ministry should flow from the one thing that is needed, the one thing that is better, the one thing that is eternal, Jesus. I was driving to St. Pete on Friday night and I was trying to just think, because I mean, it's very clear now, I resonate a lot with Martha. I, I was trying to think of people that I know that I, would, that I would say, "What a Mary! What a Mary that person is." And I was just trying to think like through people in my life. And I, I mean, there's a lot of those people. Some of you are in this room, but I just couldn't stop thinking about Steve Hayner. Steve, and a lot of you don't know Steve who that is, but Steve Hayner was the president of Intervarsity from 1988 to 2001. And uh, when he left, he became the president of Columbia Theological Seminary for, for many, many years. And then, in, in, you know, not many years ago, he was diagnosed very suddenly with fatal pain, uh, pancreatic cancer. And he died in January of 2015. And when he died, they, they you know, there was just all these amazing uh, uh, leader, Christian leaders who wrote these, you know, more Memo- like memory, kind of articles about him. There was a book published of like his, of his journal, basically living with cancer and following Jesus to the very end. It's called Joy in the Journey by Steve Hayner. And I didn't obviously when he was the president. I didn't know him when he was the president of university. I was, I was. What was I doing? I was, I was going through middle school. So we weren't tight. You could say we weren't tight when I was in middle school and he was the president of university. Um, but I spent two, after, way after he left, and he was the president at Columbia Theological Seminary, I just spent two weeks with him at a uh, an Old Testament deep dive, like a, a little seminary intensive with like 10 or 15 other people. And it was basically all day, every single day, just doing work in the Old Testament, just like Old Testament survey, thematic origins in the Old Testament, cr- chronology of the Old Testament, all this stuff. And you you would think that, you know, this... I don't know, this, this. I wasn't expecting much from the class. I barely even knew who this, this guy was. And it, you would just think this like, kind of dry Old Testament content on like the lineage of the kings and the Deuteronomic order and, and, and all this kind of stuff would just be kind of like, man, we're just living through the day. But just who Steve was just so invigorated that two weeks because he uh, unplanned. I know it was unplanned because we didn't get through half the content we were supposed to get through. He would just tell stories from his life. They would just come out in the middle of like talking about Leviticus or something like that. He would just, we just have some truth about God and he would just like, like, oh, and he'd just share this stuff. Like experiences he's had or moments he's had with God. It's like when he talked about Jesus, it never came off as information that he learned but a deep well that he had been drinking from for a long time. And he was offering you a drink, not a piece of information. This moment on like the, in the middle of the second week, we were talking about Job. We just had one morning in the book of Job. And when he took over for InterVarsity in 1988, InterVarsity was like in a really kind of turbulent time. They had gone through five presidents in 10 years. There was a lot of like strife and division in the organization. And he took over in, in a really rough season. And he was kind of young. Comparatively, he was kind of young. And everybody, he, he's one of the best, one of everybody's favorite like presidents. A lot of people call him one of the best presidents in the history of InterVarsity for his 13-year tenure. And a lot of that comes from how he handled that first three years. And they just, people call him like one of the most pastoral kind of healing presence they've ever experienced. He just like walked in a room and there'd just be a total turmoil. And just who he was would just come in and just like let people, it would just enter people into like listening and trying to understand each other and really loving and being committed to each other. And I got to experience a little bit of that. The problem was for that three years, everybody saw the outside of Steve Hainer. But internally, he was in total turmoil for those three years. And, and not a lot of people knew that. And in the middle of this class, he started telling us about that. While In the middle of the book of Job. He just took a break from the book of Job, and he just started telling us about these first three years on, as the president of University. And how... He every single day he dealt with intense stress, bouts of depression, uh, a total like a lot of insecurity about his ability to lead the job, um, um, relational conflict that pe- some people didn't know about that he just kept under wraps, uh, so much inner turmoil. And he read from us. He, we hit this line in Job, and, and, and he actually got, he went on his computer. He broke from the class for like five minutes. We're all sitting there, and he's like on his computer for five minutes. We're like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Why, why is this happening? And he went and found a journal on his computer from 1980-something. And it was from that time when he was in that season of his life. And he, he just wrote, read a journal uh, entry for us. And I, I mean, we couldn't write down the whole thing, but I just remember this one line that I wrote down and I locked away and I, and I keep going back to it. After all these complexities, suffering, turmoil that he's experienced internally in the job, but he's still wrestling with Jesus in that place, in the job. And he just wrote these words, and yet you are still my hope. And yet you are still my hope and you are enough for me. You are enough and I will stay the course of these trials because within them I keep finding more of you. I'm going to read that one more time. And yet you are still my hope. You are enough for me and I will stay the course of these trials because within them I keep finding you. More of you. At the end of his tenure. So he's suffering. He's suffering but he knows this is the thing that Jesus has for him. And in the service itself, in the ministry itself, all he's experiencing is more and more and more intimacy with Jesus. And at the end of that tenure with InterVarsity in 2001, he left kind of unexpectedly. It was a bit of a surprise. Everybody loved him. And he told us in that class, he was like, I loved InterVarsity. I wanted to stay with InterVarsity. I loved the job I was doing with InterVarsity. But God released me from that work. And even when it was going well and I loved it, I couldn't, I couldn't find him anymore in it. And I had to leave. The things were going terribly, but nothing was a distraction because in the service, in the doing of the thing that, that God had apportioned for me, I just found more of him. All I, I just found more of him in it, more of him. And when I, was, when I was in the thing that was like successful and great and awesome, then it became a distraction because he'd released me from that work and I was trying to hold on to it. And I had less of him every day, less of him every day. And they ended up having to move to it. He, he left his job and they went to Atlanta and his, his wife had a thing that she felt super called to and he was just trying to support her in it. Do you treat your inner life with Jesus with that type of urgency? Daily, ruthless unbreakable urgency every single day it is the most urgent thing you can care for every single day I'm not asking you if you think it's important I know you do, we all do I'm asking you if it carries urgency ministry can be a soul crushing distraction from Jesus it can, ministry can be an idol when it becomes that or it can be a constant expression of that intimacy with Jesus that you have. Which path are you on? If the worship team would come up, I just wanna close with this this final word, this final invitation to invest your life in Jesus. Invest your life in him every single day because nothing else is eternal. Nothing else is necessary. There's one thing that's necessary, there's one thing that's better, there's one thing that's eternal, that's everlasting. Last summer before I moved to Tampa, I had just a couple months before I was about to move here that I knew I was moving here, and I took a week in the summer, about like exactly one year ago today, and I just drove through the state of Indiana. I'm from Illinois but I drove through the state of Indiana because that's where all my extended family lives, all through the state, and I just didn't know when I would ever see them again. And so I took a week and my wife and I just got in a car and we just drove through and just stopped at each place and spent time with my whole extended family. I went on this little town in the middle of Indiana, it's called Warren. There's a little assisted living complex in Warren, Indiana and my grandpa Polly lives in that assisted living complex and he's really he's really old he's been in that assisted living complex for a long time and I've only been able to visit him maybe once every two or three years and uh, you know we came we came up and I early early on a Sunday morning I left without my my wife and son I left and I went to visit him for a few hours on a Sunday morning and uh, I got to the assisted living complex and I went up to his room and I came in. And uh, in, in his room, that's a tiny room. It's just got a little like bathroom attached to it. And all he's got in there is a bed and his favorite chair. And, uh, and then he's got this little tiny TV, but he barely ever watches it because he has uh, extremely limited hearing and extremely limited vision. It's kind of like closing in on him. And so when my dad I I it's it's just sometimes it's just hard for me to visit to him because I'm not used to interacting with him but when my dad when I watch my dad interact with my grandpa Pulley, my dad my, my grandpa will sit in a chair his same chair in his room every time and my dad will kneel down in front of him and and put put his hands on the arms of the chair and be face to face about 6 inches apart to have a conversation that's how they have to have a conversation because of how limited his his sight is and how limited his hearing is so I go and I'm kind of like trying to have a conversation with him as best I can I don't want to do the six inches apart thing because I'm not quite there with my grandpa (laughs) I'm like trying to talk really loud I'm trying to like be in his be in his range of sight and um, you know I get him talking about restoring old tractors and farming which was like the love of his life and I just get him talking about my dad and old memories I try to dig up dirt on my dad stories and stuff that I can just like rag on my dad about and eventually we hit this point in the conversation where I said, what do you do around here? Like in your, in your free time, what do you love to do around here? And his, his, he just got this little smirk on his face and his eyebrows went up and he was like, let me show you. And he kind of like, he struggled out of his chair and he like kind of very kind of gingerly walked across the room to this corner of the room where there was this machine. I didn't know what this machine was. And it turned out it was—it's called a—it's uh, some kind of magnifier thing. If you want to show that picture, um, this is the machine. So I took a picture of it because the—the the moment for me was just—it uh, was—it's uh, hard to describe. And he basically has this—you uh, know—the light shining down is like a little magnifier, and you put something underneath it, and it projects on this monitor, this TV monitor, so that you can see and you can actually zoom in and zoom out. And he just has his Bible sitting on this, on this tray underneath this thing. And even where it's at right now, you can see where it's at right now, he has to zoom in way further than that to be able to read it. And he said he, he wakes up and he spends a good portion of the morning just sitting at that screen and just holding onto that tray one line at a time, just moving it around and reading. Reading the Word. He goes to lunch, sees a few friends, comes back in the afternoon, and just spends some time with the Lord reading. One line at a time. One word at a time. And I, you know, part of the reason it was such a surreal moment for me is I've just never really seen, I'm not super close with that grandpa, and and I'd never really seen that side of him, and I just felt this I just felt so inspired like that. Like this is an example of who I want to be when I'm 93. This is, this is the type of person that I hope to be when I'm 93. A person who can sit in a room with a twin bed and a little reading chair and not care a lick about TV and just sit at a screen one word at a time with debilitated sight and hearing and just sit with the Lord and just love it, love it. There's a lot of things that you think are important right now that aren't. There's a lot of things you thought were important 10 years ago that weren't. There's a lot of things you thought were important 20 years ago that weren't. Don't let ministry and service run you ragged to the point that you sit at the end of your life with a stranger. Don't do that. Every single day, Serve and live from the overflow of your intimacy with Jesus. Serve in the ways that he has apportioned for you to serve. And everything else that feels urgent and feels pressing for your time, it's okay. Some of it you can do, that's fine. Never let that stuff get in the way of the urgency and the importance of your inner life and your walk with Jesus. There's really one thing that retains ultimate value all the way through the course of your life, all the way through it, and even further. He went to a cross for you not to give you a life of busyness and urgency and distress. He didn't die to enlist you as an activist, but to adopt you as a child, to usher you into a life of intimacy with him, of knowing him and being known by him. So hold on to that better portion. Hold on to the one who is necessary, the only necessary portion. Hold on to that eternal portion. Hold on to Jesus. Cling to him. Hold to him. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And when you eat it, and even in this moment, when we eat it, We eat it in remembrance of him who purchased us not for a life of disarray and chaos but purchased us for a life of intimacy with him and to live into the activism and the service and the mission and the urgency of the kingdom of God from the overflow of what he's done in us. And in the same way, he took the cup, pouring it out, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. When you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, come. Come to receive the one who purchased you from death and has brought you into life. And come to receive him into all of life. Come this morning. The elements given for you.